Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. What an end to the 2021 football season, huh, people? I guess now I can officially say Happy New Year. Now that football season is officially over, it is 2022. And so, you can kick off 2022 by heading over to Bet Online today to continue betting on basketball, hockey, some MMA, and the big dance being right around the corner. Use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up today. Bet online, where the game starts. Welcome in, everybody, to Razor's Red Zone. My name is Kyle Ledbetter, not Razor, um, joining you here on this wonderful Friday. Uh, Razor is off today, so I will be filling in here. You can check out my work over on the Take It Easy podcast and Comical Sports YouTube channels, CSM, Insta, on Twitter. Uh, You can find us all over there. Um, We're going to talk NBA here today. And joining us are a couple fantastic guests. We're going to have Austin Carr, Mr. Cleveland Cavalier, join us later on in the show, as well as Alex Barutha from Roto Ballers. It's going to be a fantastic show here today. Before we get going here, I do want to talk a little bit about the NBA and uh, where things stand as we head into the All-Star break. First and foremost, we have some odds sitting here on the NBA MVP as we get within, you know, 20 games of the end of the season, large enough sample size to kind of figure out who are the best of the best in the NBA. So currently, as the odds stand, Joel Embiid is the favorite for MVP at plus 140. At this point, he'll probably be the favorite up until the end of the season, unless there's a significant run by any of these next three people. Nikola Jokic sitting at plus 290 right now. Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is plus 400. Giannis has now gone back-to-back seasons with an MVP in 2019 and 2020, finished third last year. He will probably finish in the top three for the fourth consecutive season. Steph Curry is slightly lower at plus 850 right now. Steph Curry would need a a bit of a big run here at the end to be able to catch any of the three at the top, but it's entirely possible at this point. Maybe the Warriors go on a big run. Uh, Those are your four solid favorites. And then we have uh, a few long shots. John Morant right now for the third place Memphis Grizzlies is sitting at 11 to 1 odds. Devin Booker and Chris Paul, the two Phoenix Suns, sitting at 20 to 1 right now. I'm a big Devin Booker fan myself. Um, I don't think he's going to have the numbers or support in the offense to get the MVP, uh, but Devin Booker has had an incredible season for universally regarded as the best team in the NBA over in Phoenix. And finally, you have everyone's favorite story this year, DeMar DeRozan, who has turned his career around in his 30s to become an MVP candidate once again. He's 30 to 1. He's not going to win it. The Bulls aren't actually that good, but DeMar DeRozan is still a fun, fantastic story for any of you who want to take a long shot, bet with your heart instead of your mind on that one. So a few more points here that uh, are interesting coming off of the trade deadline. The Nets and the Sixers made the biggest trade in the NBA since the last time James Harden got traded last year. Uh, Harden 
was sent to, of course, the, the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and Andre Drummond and a couple first round picks that surprisingly the 76ers, uh, or I'm sorry, surprisingly the Nets held on to instead of flipping them at the trade deadline. Uh, but that's the current core as the team is assembled right now. Uh, which team is going to come out of the break faster? I had to guess the Philadelphia 76ers because Brooklyn's just not entirely together yet. Obviously, Kyrie Irving can still only play half the games. Kevin Durant's going to be gone for a couple more weeks. Ben Simmons is practicing for Brooklyn, but he hasn't quite gotten to the place where they're ready to even announce when his Nets debut will begin. And Ben Simmons and James uh, Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving all together makes Brooklyn, I think one of the most formidable teams in the Eastern Conference. They just aren't quite together yet. Joel Embiid's been healthy this season. He's playing at MVP-level basketball. James Harden's supposed to come back in the first game after the All-Star break. There may be an adjustment period, but at least their adjustment period gets out of the way now instead of the Brooklyn Nets, who are kind of just waiting around for all their pieces to come back. And hopefully they can build that plane in the sky as they get closer to the playoffs. The Memphis Grizzlies are a topic of intrigue right now as well. Memphis is currently sitting as the third seed in the Western Conference. Uh, is Memphis going to be able to hold on to a top three seed? Not exactly sure. It's nothing to deter Memphis. Memphis is following the natural progressions of a team that has acquired a young generational star who four to five years from now might end up being an MVP a little difficult right now because there are so many great players in the NBA. But Memphis in the in the first year with John Morant were the bubble team that lost in the play-in game. The next year, they made it to the playoffs. They won the play-in game against the Warriors last year. They got a seven-game series. They lost in five to the Utah Jazz. So next year, as they build some pieces out and the Memphis Grizzlies get more production out of John Morant than they have in any year of his previous three. They might get to play a full seven game series. They might win a full seven game series this year. This is the natural progression of teams that have a 21 year old two time all star is that they slowly get better and better as the core of their team gets built out. We're seeing the same thing happen with Dallas right now. Dallas might be the team that I'd say could catch them as the three uh, along with the Utah Jazz, who as much as I don't trust the Utah Jazz, credit to them for building out the team that they have this year. Boston Celtics, they have had a fascinating run here over the past week or so. They've beat the Philadelphia 76ers by 50 points. They dismantled the Brooklyn Nets, obviously without Kevin Durant or James Harden, but still the Boston Celtics have been on a run as of late here. They are now, I believe, the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference with a win streak going on here. Uh, Boston has been carried a lot by their defensive prowess so far. Um, obviously, Robert Williams has been the de facto center for them for most of the season. Jalen Brown has been a big defensive piece, and everybody knows Marcus Smott is giving Boston all of those minutes on defense. Uh, that's kind of been his thing for years now, and he's still hanging around in the lineup. I'm interested to see how Boston's roster changes at the deadline end up coming back around. Daniel Tyus is back. He's more of a defensive big 
than, say, Enos Cantor Freedom, who was previously playing a lot of minutes for them. Uh, so I'm interested to see how that plays out for them. They obviously moved Dennis Schroeder at the deadline uh, to kind of fill in a Marcus Smart starting position for Boston. Peyton Pritchard's gotten some minutes when healthy for them this year. So Boston has an interesting makeshift roster construction this year. Um, Al Horford hasn't been exactly what they thought he would be, but I'm certainly interested to see where Boston goes from here. I don't think they're in this elite group of Eastern Conference teams, but they've certainly turned it around and show that they're at least on the precipice of possibly winning a playoff series this year. And honestly, for how terrible the franchise was a couple of years ago, where they reconstructed the entire roster in 2020 or reconstructed the entire front office and reconstructed the entire coaching staff in 2021, it's a step and Jason Tatum's development will decide how far the Celtics go, which that leads, that leads us into the last point I want to talk about here, which is who are the favorites to make it to the NBA finals. Cause in the Eastern conference, I can think of four teams that I really am excited to watch deep down the stretch of the playoffs, which is the 76ers, the bucks, the Miami heat and the Brooklyn nets. Brooklyn nets are in a difficult spot right now, but Kevin Durant in the playoffs last year had 49 points, 15 rebounds and 10 assists in a playoff game against the bucks. And he was this close to getting Brooklyn to the NBA Finals last year with a game-winning three against the Milwaukee Bucks. So this close was Brooklyn last year. I know they don't have James Harden now, but James Harden was also playing through injury in the playoffs last year. Kyrie missed the playoff series for the Nets. It is a very interesting group that as long as they have Kevin Durant, they are immediately championship contenders out West. Two teams, Phoenix, Golden State, and I'm, I'm sorry to Memphis. I know we, we'd like to believe Memphis as the perennial three seed can pull an upset. Maybe they're one injury to the Warriors away from pulling an upset like the Hawks got last year where they made the conference finals and now they're the 10 seed. And they didn't really change their roster up. Injuries can change the math on this. But when healthy, the Warriors and the Suns should be the teams in the Western Conference. Uh, Dallas and Denver have kind of had an apocalyptic type season around their two generational MVP caliber stars. Um, so they should maybe play in the first round and one of them will get a matchup against a team that when healthy, either Phoenix or Golden State can probably beat both of those teams. Phoenix has been incredible this year, as we talked about when we were going over MVP odds. So those are my thoughts headed into All-Star Weekend. Uh, we've got a couple wonderful guests joining us here. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you pick up your podcasts. And uh, we will roll along here with our first guest. The Oracle at Beer Life Sports has killed it in the NFL, and now he's on to basketball, hockey, and soon baseball with his algorithm betting model. Check him out at beerlife.com forward slash Oracle. That's beerlife.com forward slash Oracle for his $1 sign-up special. It's time to cash some tickets. Two and a half left, burning four precious seconds. Curry, they'll get the three. No, rebound. Space. Goodbye, Oakland. It's over. 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 It's
Joining us here today on Razor's Red Zone is Mr. Cavalier himself, Austin Carr. He is covering the team and his banner hangs in the rafters at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. How are you doing today, good sir? Oh, doing, doing fine. Uh, just putting up with the weather. I mean, it's, it's typical Cleveland at this time of year, so that's about it. But I'm happy that every... Every, all my buddies are in town, and uh, I'm, I'm going to get a chance to see them today. Yeah, I was going to mention that this is your weekend. This is your city's weekend with the, the NBA All-Star game going down. And uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers have had a fun team this year, which has surprised me quite a bit. So uh, how, <laughs> had, <laughs> how enjoyable has this season been for you guys? And obviously building out a young core and it looks like you guys are going to have a looking like a playoff series in Cleveland this year. So I ask you, how has it been this year? Well, it's been uh, really, it's kind of been a, a mixed bag because in four months they've gone from trying to win games to learning how to get close to winning games to winning games. And then the mental approach to, being one of the top teams and dealing with the lower teams because they're also used to coming from the bottom and fighting up all the time, going for respect. That was the first part of the season. We, we, we got to play hard every night so we can get respect, respect, respect. Then all of a sudden they started to win, win, win. Now they're in the top half of the, the conference and now they have to protect what they've already have, have gained. And that's a whole mental adjustment for a team. Usually it takes a half a season to do one, another half a season to do the other. Then that next season, your team, halfway through, you start to make that run. But we've done it all in four months. And it's, it's really been an unbelievable um, the situation. And like I tell people, with the fact that we don't have LeBron is really what has fueled this whole thing. Because now – we have a future now because we have a young team and they're doing it on their own now. So it's a, it's a, it's a whole different vibe around here now. Well, the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to put two players in the all-star game this year, which was surprising to myself. Uh, you were right. obviously an all-star in 1974, all those many, many years ago. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> wanted to ask you about, that honor and getting to play in the game and just getting to have Cleveland fans show up and cheer on their guys at the game on Saturday, um, Sunday. Yeah, that, it was a, it was a great experience for me because my biggest problem in the pros was injuries. And, uh, and that first three years I had, I only played half a season most of those times because I was recovering from injury. And in that third year to make the all-star team, really was a, a, a not just a honor but it was a it was something I felt good about because of my I actually lost a step and in that game if you lose a step you you finish so I was able to survive another five or six years but making that all-star team was a great to me with the way sports medicine was at that time it was barbaric basically is what it was so <laughs> the, 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 the surgeries and all that so it was a uh, it was just a nice nice reward for hard work that I put in a lot of 
lonely nights rehabbing and stuff. So it was a nice situation. But to have everybody come uh, in town and the guys that I played against, played with, um, guys that I even idolized, like Dave Bing, I, I, I grew up watching him play, wanting to be like him. And, uh, and, and him and Elgin Bell are both, unfortunately, Elgin passed. But um, it's just uh, good to see all those guys come in town in the city. It means a lot to the city. I heard today on the news it's going to bring almost $100 million into the city. So those are situations that a city like a Midwest city like Cleveland, which had to get out of the industrial situation age and come into the modern tech age, that, that means a lot to, to taking the city to the next level. So for the two stars themselves, Garland has been amazing this year. I've been fascinated right. by his development. Allen's in the all-star game. Evan right. Mobley's going to get some rookie of the year considerations at the very least. Um, right. You're around the team all the time. So I wanted to ask you about their dynamic on the floor, off the floor, maybe when we can't see them. Um, right. How is how is how has everyone been interacting, especially those three star guys this year? Oh, they've been, and the, the whole team is, 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 what I like about them is they seem to care about each other, but everybody knows their role and they don't try to go outside of their role. And that's what really I think has helped them develop to where they are. Nobody's trying to do more than what they're asked to do. And they try to do what they're asked to do the best way they can do it. So, I mean, that has helped so much. Garland has grown way, just like I told you, in four months, man, he's gone from an average player to an all-star. And uh, and really, uh, Allen is basically the rock of the team. He's the one. He, he has a, over, I think, 30, 31 double-doubles this year. I mean, is a great rim protector along with Mobley. I mean, it's just uh, it's, these guys have come together and uh, – you don't really see that a lot and not, not as quickly as they, they've done it. But I, I think a lot has helped us too. Uh, the fact that we're going against the grain and we have mobile bigs. I mean, marketing coming off an injury, he'll be back. And when you start three, seven footers that can move their feet and not get stuck on the perimeter and they can move their feet, that really shrinks the court out there. And that defensively, that has really helped us big time. So, um, all those little fun things that 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 the team has brought to us, by as individuals, they they have done a good job of making it in a team concept. I wanted to ask you also about Mobley because I'm fascinated by him oh, yeah. and him being the top pick of the Cavs rebuild and immediately coming in and having 15 points and he's shooting 50 percent from the field and all the rebounds that he's pulling down. I wanted to ask you about him and just how great it's been to have him around and seeing the growth potential of someone who I expect will make the all-star game sometime in the near future. Oh yeah. I I expect him to be an all-star too, uh, as we continue to develop as a team. Uh, I really like his demeanor. He's very calm guy. It, It might be something going on on the inside, but you'll never see it and notice it. And he understands the game well. He's playing. He he makes adjustments quick, um, and and he's since day one. He's been one of the top defenders of the basket in the league. Uh, uh, I forget the stat they call it. Uh, uh, contesting shots. He's been all, he's been in the top three of that the whole season. So I mean, he just has a knack 
for defending that paint. And um, offensively, he's pretty smooth. I mean, he's, he runs the floor well. But, man, I tell you, you're talking about some of the shots he, he's blocked during this year was just unbelievable. I mean, he, he, has, a, he has an opportunity to do something. And, and I would say right now he's got to be – if we continue to play like we're playing, and it's going to be – he's going to be a big part of that. Um, I think he'll have a good shot at rookie of the year. So one of the things that I feel like hasn't been talked about a lot when it comes to the Cavs, and part of that's just because the Cavs don't get the same love nationally as other right. teams is. They're right. They is the, <laughs> this year they deserve it, though. In, the, in past years, I understand it, but right. this year, not as much. <laughs> and Kevin Love has kind of transitioned into a, a, a spot-up type shooter guy. He plays 20 minutes or so a game, um, but he's still the, the old guy, the vocal leader, who, as he's been for the past three or four years with the team. So uh, could you talk about kind of the change around Kevin Love after, you know, every year we always talk about whether this is the year Kevin Love gets traded or switches mm-hmm. teams. He's still in Cleveland. He's still a viable offensive player and shooting right. close to 40% this year. Yeah, he um... – I think he and the coach sat down before the season and uh, and hashed out. Um, you know, I, I take my hat off to him because he didn't get. Uh, he knew he couldn't be a starter anymore. But he just didn't have it. But they found a a, a a a niche for him to fit, and he's kind of grown into that niche now. And he's been very instrumental in us winning a lot of those games, coming off the bench, and uh, really. He and before Rubio got hurt, man, we would, I would say right now, this might be a strong thing to say, we'd be close to, we might be leading the Eastern Conference had Rubio still been healthy. But, but, um, but him and Love were, were, were uh, beautiful to watch play the game. And, um, and now we're telling to get back into <coughs> incorporating him into the offense coming off the bench. But, off the bench, Love has been very instrumental in our success. He's in, in, and I have to take the hat off to him again because he accepted his role. And I think that's the beauty of this team is everybody has accepted their role and they don't try to go outside of that. So just as a final question here to wrap up your uh, bona fides a little bit, you've been covering the team since 1999. You've been around Cavs basketball for 50 or so years now. I ask you this year, this team, you've been through championship teams. You've been through teams that made championships this year with the young core has been the most enjoyable season since when? Since the championship year. Well, actually, all all eight of LeBron's seasons were fun because <laughs> we, we went to the finals every year. So it, it was it was a great opportunity. I mean, um, it was just good to uh, – this team is fun to watch. Uh, I enjoy it because it, it, it I get emotional in the game. So it, it the way they play is, is exciting, and, and everybody's into it. I mean, you know, sometimes they're not as smooth as you'd like them to be, but they still scrap and they go diving on the floor and they do all kinds of things that we all, they play the type of game that the way we were taught the game as young people and yourself, everybody's been taught to play the game a certain way. And they play that way. And I think more people can relate to what they're doing as opposed to having 
the one person dominate the ball and move it around and the, 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 the way that, that, that we used to be. And, and people are gravitating to the, this young Cavs team, man. Yeah. The, 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 the buzz is back again for the Cavaliers. Well, Austin, thank you. I appreciate your time, and uh, I hope you enjoy All-Star Weekend with all of your friends and everyone coming into your city. And it's gonna, I think it's going to be fun this year. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, I love the All-Star game every year. I know they're doing all the 75th anniversary stuff, too, yes. so I imagine there's going to be something special, little Easter eggs dropped in this weekend that I'm excited <laughs> for. Yeah, right. the city's all ready to go, and uh looks like the weather is going to start to cooperate here. So uh, it should be a fun weekend. Looking forward to it, and maybe we can talk again when, when it's playoff time. <laughs> absolutely i would love to i uh right. i very much enjoyed this so uh stay warm stay safe and uh we'll talk to you next time it's much appreciated all right have a good one the beer life sports discord community is forming now jump in to hang out with leading sports handicappers plenty of betters and myself razor rosenthal many are providing picks trends and several futures to wager on find us at beerlife.com forward discord Let's welcome in our second guest of the show for today. He is Alex Barutha. He is the senior NBA editor over at RotoWire. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex underscore NBA Rutha. Um, Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Looking forward to the all-star break. Uh, it's been quite a grind so far, uh, so a little break is nice. Yeah, and this should be like a fun weekend. And I was saying before, they're going to do all kinds of fun little Easter eggs for the 75th anniversary and stuff like that. It should be a, should be a fun weekend. At least I enjoy the All-Star weekend more than some other sports. Right. Yeah, like the, I think, yeah, baseball, NFL. I think I think NBA has the best All-Star weekend. I'm a little biased because I cover it and it's my, my favorite sport, but you get like the creativity of the dunk contest and all, you know, people are having fun during the the all-star game and stuff like that. So that's always cool. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And, you know, the all-star break is a little past the halfway point of the NBA season. So we kind of know how everything is, is going at this point. We kind of know who the best teams are, who the MVP candidates and things like that. So first question I wanted to throw at you is the Warriors and the Suns are universally regarded as the two best teams in the West. Some people want to dabble the Grizzlies and the Jazz in there as well. But when fully healthy, how do the Suns and Warriors match up, uh, say, in a seven-game series in the playoffs? Uh, that's that's a really good question. Um, you know, Clay Thompson being back, obviously, like that, you have to factor that in. I mean, Phoenix has... Pretty good size. I'd be curious on how they'd handle. I'd be curious on how Golden State handles DeAndre Ayton over a seven-game series. Um, obviously, the Kavon Looney matchup isn't. That's a pretty strong advantage for Phoenix. Um, and so, to some extent, like the James Wiseman edition for the Warriors will also be interesting to see how he uh, can maybe face up against someone like DeAndre Ayton. Um, you know, I, we saw in the regular season how well. Uh, you know, Golden State and uh, Phoenix, those games were, but it's tough because who's Chris Paul going to chase around? Is Chris Paul going to chase Steph Curry around off of screens for seven games? Because um, if it's not him, it's Devin Booker. You know, someone in that backcourt, whether it's Paul or, or Booker, is going to be expending a lot of energy chasing someone around. Um, and that's, that's pretty tough. 
So I, you know, if you made me pick right now, I think I'd say Phoenix just because they've been there. They've done that. They have the better record this season. Um, or, or at least, I mean, like this version of Phoenix went to the finals last season. They haven't won the title like, you know, Golden State has. But um, yeah, it's I, I think it would be an amazing series. Yeah, if not for Drew Holiday putting the clamps on Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they might have had that championship last year out of out of the weird mutated 2021 season for for Phoenix. Um, the other the other teams in the West that I find interesting are Dallas and Denver because both those teams have had like an apocalyptic injury season when the the roster turnover for the Mavericks and they just have these two guys that have just had ridiculously high usage rates and still are carrying their teams to some of the best records in the league. So um, I don't know how you feel about Utah or Memphis or teams like that, but I find those two as like the next group of teams behind the Warriors and the Suns at this point. So uh, you're the NBA expert. What do you feel about the, the Mavericks and the Nuggets? Yeah, the the West the West gets pretty confusing after the top two, I think. So it's it, it's almost like a uh, like a preference, like it's only it turns into a personal preference thing. I'm with you on Memphis and Utah. Um, Memphis, I'm not sure. Like I I love what they've been doing. I love John Morant. I'm just not sure they have the the very top end talent to compete with with some of the other teams in the West. Um, and and you know in the playoffs and then. Utah, they're just like falling apart. Um, team chemistry issues aren't great. Um, Dallas and Denver, man, like, I mean, Jokic is one of my favorite players. I can't say enough good things about Jokic. Um, I thought he was clearly the MVP last season. And, um, you know, but the, the team record between them and Dallas are basically the same right now. I mean, Dallas is 35 and 24, Denver's 33 and 25. Trading away Porzingis was kind of an interesting move. I get it. Um, I think it, I think it lowers their ceiling though for this season. I think it was probably a good move moving forward to free up some salary and the Doncic and Porzingis didn't like each other. So I'm a little lower on Dallas right now than I was to say start the season. Cause I don't think, I think not having Porzingis is a problem when you're trying to win the title this season. Um, as far as Denver goes, I mean, Jamal Murray's going to come back probably March ish, maybe even April kind of, uh, you know, it's still fluid right now, but, um, if he comes back and he's, you know, 85 to 90% of himself, I mean, we saw what that team, you know, is capable of, uh, the past couple of years. And, uh, I, I would like their chances a lot, you know, being down Michael Porter jr. Is terrible for them. That contract is looking like an albatross right now. Um, but they, they have, I mean, again, their team chemistry is through the roof. Um, Jokic great leader of that team. And assuming they get Murray back, I think they have a, they have a decent chance. Yeah, they're a team that I feel like should get in the Bradley Beal sweepstakes. Yeah. If they can move some money around or do a sign and trade thing with Washington, I feel like that kind of improves their chances a little bit. Uh, could work out well for them. Is there, a, is there a team kind of in the next group that's like overperforming to expectations that is going to maybe fall off at the back end of the season? Maybe they've won a lot of one possession games or they're missing a key player down the stretch or something like that. I know there's only 20 or 30 games left in the season. Right. Um, in the Western conference, I mean, I think it is maybe between Utah and uh, Memphis. Like I was saying before, I think again, like it's hard to, it's, it's hard to like jump in and say, Oh yeah. Memphis just isn't that good. Cause that doesn't, 
that that doesn't it doesn't track with what we've seen, right? Because they're they're amazing. They're forty one and nineteen. They almost have the same record as Golden State. I just think like I'm not sure how it holds up again in the playoffs. Um, you know, you like your second best player is I guess Desmond Bain, maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. <laughs> and of course those guys are of course those guys are playing really well. It's just that I'm not ready to like stand here and say you're going to like you really have a chance at winning the title if your second best player is Desmond Bain. Like I just to me that doesn't <laughs> I can't get there. Um so I think like Utah would have a better chance than them, but like based off of talent and the record that they've accumulated throughout the regular season's past. Um and Donovan Mitchell, his past few playoff series have been amazing. I mean, he's putting up like 35 a game, some huge performances. So I have no issues or no questions about him. It's just kind of the rest of the roster. There's the Gobert factor, whether or not you can play him off the court as an opponent. Um, him and Mitchell don't have the greatest chemistry. Mike Conley's getting old. You know, is Bogdanovich kind of like too one-dimensional? Is Royce O'Neal just he's he's nothing except a defender <laughs> and like a low-volume three-point shooter? Um, and their bench is pretty bad. So um, those are the two teams I would I would say just they have a good record, but I'm not I don't really believe in them. Yeah, we, we've seen the Utah story before. Also, just Royce O'Neal is a great comedic name to rely on <laughs> minutes for at the end of the season. Uh, it's it's not been great for them, I would say. Not not as last year where they had one of the deepest eight in the NBA and were the number one seed. It's not that same luck. Also, I forgot Jingles is gone now for them. But right. he's he's now shipped off to Purgatory of Portland. Um, in, in the Eastern Conference... When Ben Simmons comes back, say in two, three weeks for the Nets, what do you think their rotations are going to start to look like? Because I know Curry's probably going to start. Simmons will be on the floor as a starter with Durant. What do you, what do their rotations look like once they shrink to like eight or nine players? Yeah, I I mean I assume they start uh, Simmons, Kyrie, Seth Curry, Durant, Drummond. I don't know. Um, they, they seem to like Drummond. Drummond or Griffin, it's it's really hard to tell right now. What I mean, they have so many, you know, Nick Claxton, who everybody loves, got a DNP the other night. So I don't I don't really know what's going on there. I think they'll take it by a, a game by game basis. Uh, yeah, and they're another team where they don't have a very good bench at all. I think they're just gonna abuse the starters like they have been all season. I mean, we were seeing Kevin Durant, you know, not that far removed from an Achilles injury, playing just 40 minutes a night consistently um i actually have like uh i might be higher on the nets than a lot of other people are even for this season um you know i'm a bucks fan so i like almost tragically saw what kevin durant single-handedly could do in a playoff series um so as long as you have him you have a chance um and then obviously Kyrie's amazing i i like the idea of ben simmons on this team as everyone keeps saying the draymond role and I, I guess so, um, you know, just doing a lot. Of, like if you can pass to those guys, um, open sh- more open shots for Kyrie and, and KD and Seth Curry uh, is obviously a good thing. Um, the I, I think the only issue for them, in my opinion, is I think they're going to have a really hard time, those three specifically, Durant, Kyrie, Ben, getting chemistry before the playoffs because Kyrie still can't play home games. Durant, they're probably going to take it easy with him coming off of this recent knee injury. And uh, so there's going to be a lot of nights where it's just it's just Ben Simmons out there. 
surrounded by a bunch of nobodies like slash Seth Curry. And then there'll be some <laughs> nights where it's Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. Oh, cool. They'll figure out their chemistry, but there's still no Kevin Durant on the court. And there'll be the games where all three of them are on there and then they have to do something different. And then Kyrie's gone because it's a home game. And it's like, I don't know how exactly how they're going to build up the necessary chemistry. Well, you mentioned the Bucks in there, and I am very high on Milwaukee. I'm a Giannis guy um, just because he is so great at basketball, I think, is the point for me. So um, I still think Milwaukee's the best team in the Eastern Conference because of the presence of Giannis and still enough built out around him. I know they've had a little bit of roster turnover even since the championship team. But what do you make of Milwaukee and Giannis averaging like 35 a game going into the All-Star break? Yeah, Giannis is amazing. I, mean, I can't, again, I can't say enough good things about Giannis as a, as a Bucks fan. It's like, you know, you could do a whole podcast on it. Um, yeah, the rest of the team, I mean, we, again, we saw them win the title. Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are good, like good enough, if not great, as number twos and threes. Um you know, they're good defenders also. Like everybody, all three of those guys are two-way players, which I think gets underrated. A lot of people like to look at big threes and they're like, uh, they only, they're only thinking about like the offense in their head, but you have a, a good set of two way uh, players. And I think, I mean, for me, the only concern is uh, I, again, like it was last season, the bench, uh, which is pretty bad. Um, you know, like they were asking, they've been asking a lot out of Pat Connaughton who just got hurt and Wesley Matthews is back but he's shooting like 27% from the field over the past 12 games or something like that. Um, they just signed DeAndre Bembry to play minutes for them, who the <laughs> Nets cut, and the Nets are trying to win the championship, and the Nets also have a bad bench. So that like lets you know where the kind of the state of where the Bucs are. The Brooke Lopez thing, Lopez has been – he's not an amazing player, but he's been really crucial to what the Bucs have done on offense and defense. They put that defensive drop coverage. Uh, Brooke Lopez, he's a mountain of a man. He just sticks his arms up around the paint and it, it deters people from shooting. And obviously he shoots threes as a center, which is important around Giannis, which I think is why they got out. Uh, they went out and got Sergi Baca because Sergi Baca is the exact same, like exact same player type as Brooke Lopez. Not as good right now. And also ironically coming off of a back injury, but as much as everyone loves Bobby Portis in Milwaukee, he's just not. He's not Lopez. He's not Ibaka. He's not that huge body at the rim stopping people and like blocking shots, even though he is a great three point shooter. I mean, the funny part about it is that they kind of just need a PJ Tucker, right? And yeah, he, he wasn't that guy in the playoffs last year. And now he goes to Miami and he's like leading the league in three point shooting this year, <laughs> just hitting the corner threes over and over. Of course. Yeah. They tried to fill that spot with semi Ojale. They're like, let's just get another six foot eight guy who like takes steroids uh, and plays really hard <laughs> on defense. Uh, and I've, never, it, it, I've never heard that accusation that, that semi Ojale <laughs> takes steroids. I, I want to use that now on a podcast. Is that uh, the... <laughs> yeah. Feel free to, uh, it's not, yeah. a, it's not a literal accusation. I don't know if I have to. No, like, it's uh... totally understandable, but uh, <laughs> I, I just like the comedic names of Royce O'Neal and semi Ojale and Desmond Bain being dropped on the podcast um last question i have for you here before we let you go can you explain demar Derozan? uh <laughs> so yeah i've 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 done like the whole 180 on Derozan. um i was pretty convinced you know like when he was in toronto i was like you know you look at the on off numbers and you're like the team's better every time he's off the court and it's like he can't shoot threes and he's using a bunch of possessions blah 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 and then he goes to san antonio 
And, you know, like no one's paying attention because the Spurs just aren't very good and they're boring and they're not on national TV. And I'm like looking at his stats, like either last year or the year before. And I'm like, I think, I think DeRozan's an all-star. He's like averaging seven <laughs> assists a game, 50% shooting. I'm like, this is like, wh- wh- what is happening? And then, um, you know, so I, I started coming around. I'm like, I think he's good now. Like, I think he figured it out. I think he needed the time with Popovich. And um, so, yeah, going on to – now, I wasn't expecting, like, another leap forward from him in Chicago because this is crazy. Um, and I, I've i always been uh, weirdly high on Chicago over the past few years compared to, like, other people. I was, like, a Lori marketing guy. I'm like, yeah, marketing is the future. You know, he's going to average 20 and 10. He's shooting threes. <laughs> um, so I was, like, pretty excited when they got DeRozan and Levine and I have like, Lonzo Ball and Vucevic. Um and I think they just put together a team that makes a lot of sense as um, everyone there likes to share the ball. Uh, and they are, they all kind of bought in as cutters and good athletes and transition players and they space the floor well. Um, but no, I can't really explain the DeMar DeRozan averaging like 35 a game on 50% shooting for like two weeks portion of it. <laughs> I just think, I, I just think it's a combination of him kind of, refining his game in San Antonio and then the amount of injuries in Chicago. And they had to just go, listen, Damar, you need to be, you need to be Jordan for us. Like you just, just have the ball, do whatever you need to do. Uh, and it's turned out extremely well. Do you feel like Popovich was using him correctly in San Antonio? Cause I remember there was like conversations of possibly like moving him to the bench and putting all the young guys together and, you know, trying to figure out rotations and I'm watching him now. I'm like, this guy's a top 10 player in the league this year. Right. I didn't, I didn't think it made sense at first for them to hang on to him for as long as they did. Like I thought they should have just traded him last season or even like late two seasons ago. Um, and yeah, they, they definitely should have been giving the young guys minutes, but again, that was the same period that I was looking at his stats. I mean, his last two years in San Antonio, he was 22 points a game on 51% shooting. Um, and that includes 86% from the free throw line. And he was six assists to only 2.2 turnovers. So it's like, how is that guy hurting the team? Like, he's clearly a positive player, not a great defender, but like, uh, yeah, it just, his fit on that team with the trajectory of the franchise did not make sense. Uh, but somehow I think Pop was able to sort of revitalized DeRozan's career, and I'm not sure he's going to get credit for it. Yeah, I, I'm low on Popovich, so I, I will take a <laughs> chance to to kind of point out, hey, they kind of drove Kawhi Leonard out and ended their dynasty. Oh, I kind of I kind of point to that sometimes of the, hey, did, did Popovich kind of dismantle this thing in front of our eyes? But it, I, in fairness, DeRozan probably benefited from that as well. So, uh, Alex, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your time this morning. This was a lot of fun, very insightful conversation for myself. I love the being able to laugh at fun names like semi uh, It was a fantastic little podcast we had here, and uh, I appreciate it. 